listeners and welcome. This is Wine Times Mysteries with your bi-coastal besties. I'm M.M. I'm Katie. And we are bonding over our love of wine and mysteries. And, mysteries. and so what are we talking about today, Katie? Today we are covering uh, the second episode in Netflix's uh, Unsolved Mysteries reboot called 13 Minutes. Please tell me where this this uh, episode is located. Oh, this... <laughs> <laughs> wow, Say I'm it. failing on the job. This episode is located in Cumming, Georgia. Where? Uh, Cumming, Georgia. Okay, just making sure I heard that right. And do you know what county that is in? I do not. Okay, so... Forsyth? Yes. Hey! And good job, And which I think I only knew because of one of the reenactments of the actor was going into the... The high school mm-hmm. that had the county name on it. Um, did that trip any memories in the old brain there? So, because I think we all have like a weird teenage boy latent gland in our brains yes. that when something is named coming, we all go, <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> I do know that I've had that reaction before, but I honestly mm-hmm. can't place the last time it went, <laughs> nice. Um, so, so, please do. Let me tell you, there are two reasons why the name of this county should jump up out at us collectively when we hear this on Unsolved Mysteries. The first is we have to go way back in the time machines a little bit to 1912. Okay. And what happened in Forsyth County, Georgia in 1912 was that the white mobs of the town set fire to black churches and black owned businesses in the county. And eventually the entire population of Forsyth County drove out every black resident. There's a book on this called Blood at the Root by Patrick Phillips, which I think uh, is something that we should all read and educate ourselves on. The other reason why this stands out is because, okay, now get back in the time machine. Uh We're coming back to present day. Okay. Okay. Um, Does the name Tamla Horsford mean anything to you? It sounds so familiar. Tamala. This is a person who has disappeared? Was murdered? So she she's unfortunately a person who has passed. She was a black woman with five children who went to an adult slumber party, which sounds like my idea of a good time, let's be honest, Hey-o. with the other members of... It was basically the football high school football team's moms were having an adult slumber party for one of the mom's birthdays. And I... Would have wholeheartedly been into that with like my fuzzy pajamas. Like, yes, ma'am. Um, however, not this particular slumber party, because in the morning, Tamla was found dead outside the house, which was at first ruled a suicide, but her case has been reopened because there are many, many facts that don't add up about her death. And she was the only black person at the slumber party. I do remember this. I remember hearing this mm-hmm. on, uh, and that's why we drink. Um, yes. And that is why I remember now. That's when I had the, <laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. So this is all horrifying. So. So. So, so that's a, that sets the scene. Um, also, let's just talk about general geography. Coming Georgia is, they say it's in the Atlanta metropolitan area, which I think is already 
huge if Mm -hmm. we're talking about it, but this is a community that's approximately 40 miles north of Atlanta. And they said in 2000, there were 4,200 people that lived there. And in 2010, they had 5,400 people who lived there. So let's just say there were about 5,000 people at the time this happened in 2004. Makes sense. Small community. That's right. Racist area. Well, in in rural, right? So when the show opens up on this episode, I mean, the first thing I wrote was, looks really rural, looks kind of run down, which this is not to put down Georgia or rural communities. I am from a very rural area. I was going to say, takes one to know one when it comes to those buildings look like they have not been occupied in a while. And um, it was probably also a very conscious choice on the part of Netflix when they're filming this documentary too, right? Right. Like um, they could so shoot I'm anything, sure they're gonna sh- that, that's what they're going to shoot as like an establishing shot. Yeah. That's right. And so we're going back in time uh, just a little bit to April 15th, 2004. And it opens up on Pistol Black. Yes, his name is Pistol, which... Well, you might have mixed feelings about, but I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> um, I mean, he has a, I will say, I immediately was all like, that poor boy. Like, yes. Whenever, I mean, I have a strange last name. So anytime anyone has a common noun or something in their name, I just always feel a little twinge of, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> kids are mean. Um, but he has this, he's, you know, looks like a nice person. He has a soothing voice because he's going to be yes, talking to us for quite a bit of this episode. So no yes. judgments on on his name, but I did have my normal that's a noun twinge of sympathy. But you know, also there's the overriding I just want to give him a hug through this entire episode. He does have a lovely voice, like you said, very soothing, a little southern in there mm-hmm. and he's op- we're opening up, he's sitting down, he's telling us this story. Uh, and what is important to know is Part of his identity is that his mom's name is Patrice. And he says, you know, everything happened back when I was in 10th grade. So this is obviously very formative for him, but it also, again, breaking my heart because we know if it's good, it's not going to be on Unsolved Mysteries. Right. And here's this poor boy in 10th grade that something's happening yeah, to. And, so he says... And later he does establish that means he was 15. But I mean, that's how young he is. And he says he had a girlfriend that he was really excited about seeing. And so he wanted to get to school as early as possible to hang out with his girlfriend, which... Oh, sweet. Uh, very high school. So he, his mom gets up early with him, drops him off at high school. And then later in the day, he's in biology class when the resource officer comes in to get, to get him and asks if he had spoken to his mother that day. And he's basically saying, no, not since she dropped me off. So he says he called her three times with no answer, which was very unusual for his mother because she was so involved in his life. And then we get a little bit more on the backstory of Patrice as told through her friends in the town and um, some of her family. So a couple of her friends that pop up in and on this episode, there's Nancy. Mm -hmm. Um, Nancy will tell you that Patrice was always smiling. She made you feel special. Having this hair salon was her dream. And then they show the hair salon and I'm immediately transported to Steel Magnolias with Trudy's because this is a standalone building. Um, It's clear that this is a place where the ladies get together, not just to do their hair, but to also talk and have a good time. And it's called Tambor's Trim and Tan. Love Which I love. 
Patrice. Yeah. That I was mean, great. And like even like like some of the stuff the pistol is saying is that like everything about her goes into being a good mom and she loved her job because she liked to help people be beautiful and she would always like give him new hair colors and haircuts. And he just she just seemed like a very Dolly Parton Steel Magnolia's kind of yes. person. Like everyone goes there, like people will hang out there. Like you'd go for your haircut and then hang out there for hours. Mm-hmm. And um Anne McDonald, who was her friend, says that not only was she a customer, but she turned from a customer to her friend and that she was stopped by every afternoon on her way home from work. And we just need to talk for a minute about Anne, because everything about this woman is a statement. And I don't know if every aunt, I mean, every family has an aunt like this or if it's just Southern families, but I had (laughs) one aunt. That was Anne with the hot pink shirt, the hot pink jacket. And the, the hair. The hair. Okay, my aunt never had that hair, but this is Kate, very Kate Goslin hair, so, right? So, and if, if, if you're a youth, and this is a reference you don't understand, um, first, welcome. I don't know what attracted you to this. We'll, we, we will both be your fun aunts. Um, yes. But the Kate Goslin haircut is the long swoosh of a bang in the front, and then spiky and short in the back. It's like a reverse yes. mullet. So yes. it is it is and you gel that and shit blonde. up it and was blonde, blonde and you gel that shit and it is sticking straight out and it is yes. so it's it's all business. She looks like she might yes. be a realtor. Like she did look like she might be a realtor. And let me tell you, she's rocking every inch of that outfit, including the smoky eye makeup. Hell that yeah. was matching her hot pink top and jacket. Love her. Perfectly. Everything about Anne. We get you. And that is where I had in my notes. Steel Magnolia. <laughs> but also, uh, one of the por- important parts as they're in- in introducing her friends and things like that is they both Pistol and Anne establish that. Patrice says something to them that doesn't suggest she's about to run off. You know, um, like Anne says, uh, like the day before she went missing, you coming back tomorrow? Like... This mm-hmm. is not a woman that seems like she's about to run away. This is not someone, um, you know, that's uh, that's skittish, that's planning to disappear, or is just a, a right. very good actress. Um, some sa- same thing with Pistol. He said she's like when when he dropped her off, she dropped him off at school. She says, "I'll see you this afternoon." That's right. Um, so no indications at that point that she has any big plans coming up. We also at the same time end up meeting. Uh, her husband at the time, Rob, who the first the, the backstory we get on their marriage is that when they met, Patrice was 30 and Rob was 50. So he's already 20 years older than her, he, which he can kick, punch and, and kick. kick. <laughs> Just like um, what's her face on SNL? What was the name of what was the name of that character? I don't know the character at all, but it's Molly Shannon. Molly Shannon. And she, that's right. So he says, um, I am the luckiest man on this planet because I got to spend this amount of time with her. I stopped in for a haircut and I told myself she's going to be my wife. Which, okay. And on its surface, I just want to say, on its surface seems very sweet. And I actually have in my does. notes, I actually have my notes here. He's tearing up. It's like, yes. I have a little awe, like written down. Mm-hmm. But don't hit on people while they're at work. <laughs> 
Agreed. That is like, creepy. She like her goal is like if she's working, she's gotta be friendly to you. So like she's a goddamn professional. Of course know? she's gonna do a good so if job. So you ever think engage. your waitress is flirting with you? She's not. She's not. Um, she, she's not. She's not. So, right? They're not. You know, whatever. They are not. At the very first, I was just like, ah, he's like, of course he's tearing up. This woman is clearly either missing or dead because mm-hmm. we're on unsolved mysteries. That's and right. And I'm like, oh, like he, like he treasures her. Aw. I mean, that's right. That's that's what we're establishing here. But and we find out they got married in 1997, and they show the pictures of her from her wedding day, and she's glowing and radiant, and just so so happy. And I did not do the math to figure out how old Pistol would be at that point. Mm-hmm. So let's say he's 15 in 2004. So he says it later, and I think I have it in my notes. I think he was seven or eight when they got yeah, married. That makes sense. Um, and his dad is still around. Like, his dad lives in the community. He has a farm there, and his parents were apparently best friends. And talked they every made day. that's right. Talked every day. Made every effort to make sure that he was loved, and now he has this new stepdad. Um, but then we kind of cut back again to what happened on that day in 2004. So. What happens is a client shows up for their appointment at the trim and tan and there's no there's no Patrice. So they call the police right away, which is great. But I have a giant question mark there because I feel like we hear so many stories of there is a grown person who is not where they are supposed to be. And the police say, well, well that's their business. I mean, they're a grown person. They'd miss your uh, you know, they missed right. your appointment. Calm, calm down about not getting your hair cut today, <laughs> bud. But the, but the police spring right into action, so I give them a lot of credit for that. And they get there, and the cash register is open, and there's money missing. And the, sh- um, the sheriff they interview right now says, well, this yes. doesn't look good. But that's it all does that's... does not look good. But, like, all it is is cash register open, her purse is there, lunch is warmed but up. Other, right, but otherwise, it's not like... The place is turned over. Right. Isn't there's there's no mess. It, the door's not broken in. There's no windows blown out. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than the cash register being open and the money gone, the rest of the shop is normal. So except except her, her car is also yes. a little out of place. Apparently, everyone knows where. She, apparently, everyone knows where she parks. She parks along the side in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. It said her car was in kind of in front of the building. And just not where it was. It was remarkable right. enough that we do get witnesses that remark on it. That there we go. Um, and then we come back to Rob, who says, "Yeah, the police called me around two or three that afternoon," and he said, uh, "I felt like a suspect." <gasps> oh, but then he says, "I mean, they always suspect the husband. I have a degree in criminology. I know that they're going to interview me. I know the procedure here. Of course, they're going to interview me." Which, true. That's that's true. However, he said it with... He, he was so detached when he said it. That was kind of what raised my alarm bells. And then he says, I mean, I'm her husband. And a lot of times husbands are guilty of killing their wives. Which, again, is true. But it's just the very calm way he's saying it. And I get everybody grieves differently. Everyone processes trauma differently. So I cannot judge him and say... He is not acting upset enough about this. Especially since this is years after the fact that they're taping it. And so maybe he's come to a place, but... It could be. It could be. But he just seemed very 
cold and detached while he's talking right. about this. And also, yes, they always do expect uh, uh, suspect the husband, probably. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. like, it came off as both detached and a little defensive. Of just like, yes. well, of course you're going to suspect yes. me. Of course they're going to talk to me. Like, and he's like cutting us off at the pass. Almost like he's expecting what we're going to think. Because he knows he's mm-hmm. being interviewed for a show. So it's like, it comes off as a little bit Michael Scott-y to me. Because mm-hmm. you know how in the office, like, Michael Scott would do things and like look at the camera. Because he knew, like, he's a <laughs> little bit of a performance, yes. right? Yes. So I, at that point, I was just like, I want to go back and take back my awe that I had in my notes because I'm just like what's going I don't that know point, I'm just like can. what's going on here it's right. just a little weird that's right and then we get introduced Detective Buzzcut <laughs> his name was Mitchell Posey but yes Detec- Mitchell Posey I, I do like all Detective respect Bu- because I do like Detective Buzzcut but he Mitchell I, Posey you did a great job sir I really like the job the detective work you did here I just missed your name so Detective Buzzcut in my notes but yeah he works for the GBI the Georgia Bureau of Investigation um, and I like him quite a bit. He does break things down quite cleanly, and he is clearly on our train of thought of something's not right. Yes, yes. And he's clearly very fact-driven. So he says, of course, one of the first things you do, you look at their appointment book. Mm-hmm. There was an appointment at 9 o'clock that morning, and the woman who came in for a 9 o'clock haircut said that she was a little distracted, which was very unusual for her. She left at 11. So, again, clearly this is more on the Trudy's track of a salon if they're coming in for a two-hour appointment. Um, At 11.10, she had another appointment. This man arrives, gets his haircuts. He leaves at 11.27, which I was like, hmm, that's a very specific time. But they know this because he said he got a phone call as he was leaving, and they were able to confirm the phone call on his cell phone. So that was 11.27. And then at 11.35, another customer calls to change their appointment, and that was a two-minute phone call. So which takes us to 11.37. Right. However, however, they do, the customer who calls to change their appointment notes that, very weirdly, Patrice is very short on the phone. Again, uncharacteristic. Um, it takes us to 11.37, and then uh, there's this unanswered for 13 minutes, because then someone calls at 11.50, and if the call is not answered. So at that point, she's gone. So we've got 13 minutes of, and, and all uh, Buzzcut needs, wants to figure out is what happened in that 13 minutes. And Don't knows, we all? Right. And who knows uh, if it has already started, like maybe she's noticing the start of something or someone's walking into her salon during that first call with the customer because she's so short. Like, you know, I got to go. Like, fine. You know, who knows? Like, again, this is a mystery. It's not like there's video or anything. We do find out that there are two witness statements that at 1145, they see a blue car out front mm-hmm. of the trim and tan. Um, and what kind of car was that, Katie? It could be. There's three <laughs> options, Mary Margaret. Three options. Oh, please um, tell me. A Chevy Lumina. Yes. And this woman is insistent that it is a Chevy Lumina. And I tend to think that it's a Chevy Lumina. That's a very, like, I don't think I would be able to pick a Chevy Lumina if it slapped me across the face. Like, I don't know the look. I don't know cars. Um, but the other witness said either a Taurus or a different type of Chevy. A Malibu. A Malibu. So Thank we you. either have a Lumina, a Taurus, or a Malibu. And God help me if I am ever in a situation where I'm a witness to something and I have to identify a car because you know what? I'm going to say it had it was blue. It's either a sedan or a truck. It's got four tires 
That's it. But this the woman though who who said it was a Lumina, she was also very specific about the license plate. She said it had the Georgia license plate with the wildlife tag. So it had that little bird down that's in why the bottom she, left hand corner. That's a that's a uh, observant enough that I tend to I'm tending to think it's a Lumina. In my, you know, like, if they're, you're going to notice the license plate, and I do this too, and I used to do it more in Maryland, because <laughs> there uh, there are, I think Maryland has the most variety of, like, special interest license plates. I think there's, like, hundreds of, of them. Of course you do. Of course you do, because um, no one wants that stupid flag on their license plates, uh, Katie. That flag is beautiful. Um, <laughs> then, then why wouldn't everybody just want it on your plate? The plate itself is a little bland. If, it, if the flag was bigger, mm-hmm. maybe people would be into it more. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's just easier to like get your like, you know, fighting breast cancer or yay kids or whatever mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in Maryland. And so I just I just I notice those like I notice special license plates more than and I mean, it's something that like I'm like, oh, this woman noticed that she probably like if you're lo- noticing the license plate, you're probably looking at the back of the car. You probably see Lumina or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And this is also when both witnesses do notice, do mention that they the reason they noticed this car out front and it's right out front is that um, Patrice's car is also out front kind of facing that car and out of place. So that's kind of why it snagged them. They're if- almost forming like a right angle. So the Lumina is parked where the driver's seat is directly in front of the front door mm-hmm. of the salon. Patrice's giant Chevy Tahoe is pulled up with the driver's door um, opening up to the building. So the front of the Tahoe is is inter- almost intersecting directly with the front of the Lumina Malibu Taurus Which- car suggests to some that maybe they needed a jump. Like that's that's the kind of the like what people drive by and they notice yeah. it, they're like, maybe it was a jump. Well this is also when, you know, the fact that there's only five thousand people in town comes into play because otherwise who is gonna notice that stuff? But you had two different people driving by the road at eleven forty five who both noticed this because it was out of place. And they also see some people. It's not just the cars, right? But the woman who said this is a Lumina also saw two people. She said she saw a tall woman, a tall younger woman, and a like an older woman. And that they were putting hands on each other. Like maybe um, helping the woman up or something, but they were like interact like touching each other interacting when she first said putting hands on each other maybe that just means something different in georgia but i was like they were fighting they she was fighting this old lady but no she meant that literally one of her their hands were literally touching the other person's body in some fashion and then they showed the oh god do you remember they showed like a picture of what the salon looks like now mm-hmm. and it was so sad there's like this rusty old barrel outside the blinds are all askew mm-hmm. it's all obviously boarded up just sad so at this point you know the searches people are searching for her they don't know what's mm-hmm. going on um and pistol keeps looking he's like i never stopped looking and i expected her to you know and he's just like you never expect anything like oh she's gone it's like oh well she's He's like, you expect her to be like, well, I was going to prepare a life for us away and I had to go do this and now I'm back and let's go. And he brings that up because um, at this point, like I wasn't sure, like I, I also hadn't done the math. And so I was like, how is Pistol relate? You know, like, and I was like, oh, obviously Pistol is not Rob's son. Um, and then it, it, be, it becomes clear that um, he's like, 
I had to, even he's like, I, and then he's like, I I had to go stay with Rob, and like it's clear they have a a horrible relationship, and that's when he mentions that he was seven or eight when they got married, and that that first year, um, Rob was like trying to be a stepdad and was like really involved and like kind of you know fine. But then after a year, um, he turns into a different person and it's just awful to pistol. And it's just, you know, belittles him and like is just horribly mean. And I'm like, this poor boy. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, he's and the way that pistol describes it is that uh, and, and I think some of her friends also chime in at this point. They're saying that like he's hovering and jealous, jealous of her spending time with friends, like not like not like jealous of like men talking to her, but like the That's fact right. that she cared about her friends and spent time with them. Like it's like, well, that could be time that she's spending with me. Jealous of how much because she's such a dedicated mom to pistol, jealous of the attention pistol gets. Now, uh, and that really set off some major alarm bells with me because mm-hmm. anyone who's getting married and the their partner already has a child like you have to know that child is part of their life and is always going to come first i mean they are a child they are your child and when any grown adult says something about being jealous of another adult spending time with their child like that that really rubs me the wrong way and rob and Pistol both said the same thing about each other. Pistol said, yeah, Rob was really jealous of the time that my mom spent with me in our relationship. And Rob said, oh, no, Pistol was jealous of the time that I spent with Patrice. And so I was like, oh, this is, this is not a good situation. And there's this very suspicious ju- juxtaposition. And this is why I um, am on Pistol's side and on the side of the friends because they're all saying the same thing and Rob is the only one saying anything different. So mm-hmm. the friends and Pistol are saying they fought a lot, particularly like she would not back down if he was mean to like if she he did anything to Pistol or like complained to Patrice about Pistol, mm-hmm. she would not back down on that. She'd be like, screw you. This is my son. I'm, you know, whatever. So they fought a lot. Mm-hmm. Cut to Rob. He says they never argued. What is there That's to right. argue about? Like, you, you know, you don't get anywhere arguing. He uh-huh. says Pistol was jealous. And he said he hated Pistol because he just didn't see a future with him and it, like it, that boy. And, and like, so uh-huh. just like at this point, it's a year after they got married. Pistol is eight or nine. And he is a society he, he is jealous of and hates an eight or nine year old. That's right. And when Rob said, I didn't see a future with him, I have all caps. He is a child. I mean, what the hell is wrong with this guy? I mean, so this is the, clearly the point where I turned against Rob, and I was like, what? Shucks. And, and Rob says, in the calmest voice imaginable, yes, yeah, sometimes there were issues with me and Patrice, but I don't care to remember those because I was going to live with her forever. You know, it, it's um, very Arrested Development. I don't hear this, and I won't respond to mm-hmm. it. <laughs> um, That's and, right. And at that point, <laughs> it's either Pistol or one of the friends had mentioned that Patrice had mentioned divorce. Yes. And that, and like maybe that's why Pistol's like, maybe she was like setting up our life and she was going to come mm-hmm. back. And then it cuts to Rob and he goes, I've never heard of this. This is the first I've ever heard of divorce. Okay. That would be new information to me. I was like, um. Ice no. cold. Ice cold. No. no. And here's the thing that just set me over the edge and I'm surprised I didn't wake up every other person that was sleeping in this house and was watching this episode. So, first of all, Pistol has got to be in shock and devastated and confused. His mother is missing. 
that night. Oh, reminder, Rob, reminder, he's 15. He is 15 years old. Rob changes the locks at the house and refuses to let him in. Pistol says he's banging on the house for someone to open the door. And Rob just would not respond. Wouldn't let him in to get clothes. Wouldn't let him in to get anything. Nothing. Cuts to Rob, and he was like, "Well, well, yeah, it was precautionary. I was, I was being safe, and I didn't want him in the house because I didn't like him. So I thought it would be best if he went and stayed somewhere else, so I wouldn't have this mental drag." on me you can tell at one point he's thinking like well shit this is like a really negative thing i'm saying because he also says well it's safer like if someone's coming after patrice i'm changing the locks as a precautionary measure and he should go stay somewhere else as a precautionary measure and i'm like that doesn't make any goddamn sense nope and also in my notes he was 15 what the fuck um and we do cut back to our gbi buzz cut and he says you know we're looking strongly at suspects um and they mention a couple. They mention Gary Hilton with the creepiest damn footage of them interrogating this man. Um, he murdered a lo- another local woman, not from coming, but <laughs> nice. Um, I was watching this at 1 a.m. and l- watching the footage of them interviewing him. And I was like, just going to do that double check, making sure the alarm's on and all the doors are locked, locked. and the windows. So he murdered a woman named Meredith Emerson and apparently what his MO was is he liked to con money out of people and he wanted, and one of his favorite hunting grounds was hair salons at lunchtime, <sighs> which is exactly when Patrice went missing. Um, he has no alibi, but there's also nothing else tying him to mm-hmm. the scene. So mm-hmm. there, well, he had been in the count. They knew he had been in the county around that time because he had been pulled over for some other oh, offense. Yeah, like a traffic stop or something. Right. So they just knew he had been in the general vicinity. But like I said, it seems like this is quite a large, a small community, but a large county mm-hmm. within the larger Atlanta metro area. So that in and of itself is not that unusual. Right. Um, and then why don't you tell us about the uh, other charmer oh, that we have on the roster? So this is another man named Jeremy Jones, who is a serial killer. He has killed... I th- he at least confessed to the murders of six to eight women um, in Alabama. Um, he, when he's being interrogated in Alabama, he mentions a hairdresser in Georgia that they should look into. Um, and he also talks, and you know, and the guy, the um, I think it's a sheriff from Alabama. He is like saying, like you know, he's a personal guy that you can talk to, but then like he has this dark side, and it's like, yeah, the dark side where he friggin' rapes and kills women. Um, and the Jeremy Jones says, "I'm like heckle and Jekyll," and I just, <laughs> just like there I'm, is nothing funny about Jeremy Jones. Let's be clear, but but I I could not keep a straight face nope. at that point. It just heckle you know he's got a dark side and Jekyll. It's like heckle, just like and, heckle Jekyll. and Jekyll. Um, he does mention that he uh, asked for a jump to get her out, um, but. Eventually, he does recant his confession. Um, and well, that- it was interesting. I thought there were two th- really interesting things about that. Number one, he was able to draw what they said uh, was an accurate diagram of the way those two cars were positioned. And then number two, he said he had put her in the hit the trunk of his car and drove her out to another county nearby to a place called Sweetwater Creek and then dumped her over a bridge into the water, which is 65 miles away. And right there, I was like, that seems unlikely to me. I mean, 
my whole roster of never having killed anyone. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I can imagine there's two things that go on, right? You, if something happens like that, you either want to get yourself out of there as quickly as possible, or you want to get rid of the evidence as quickly as possible. And driving 65 miles with yeah. someone in the trunk of your car. I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but that just seems like in the middle of the day, that seems like a huge risk because remember this was all happened before noon. Right. So theory, th- theoretically by 1150, she's not answering the phone and he's trucking yeah. down the highway for over an hour. I mean, and, may- and maybe it's like a, a familiar dumping ground to him. I don't know. I but don't the, know. I mean, the GBI does follow. I mean, they follow up on it. They drive well, Buska the river. is not going to let it go. Right. Let me tell you. They do have, they they drive dogs. the river. They look for her. They find nothing. And later is when he recants the confession. Um, Surprise. I just can't let go of the fact that he knew about mm-hmm. the cars. And the the Alabama sheriff does mention that. He does say, like, he did know things. But, like, how would you know that? Um, and, you know... There's always chances of things where if it's in any way public knowledge, you know. True, true. I forget who they gave um, police files to. One of the famous serial killers. I don't know if it was John Wayne Gacy or whoever. Um, where it's just like like they gave him police files to read and then he'd read them and then he'd be like, I know these details. <laughs> um, wow. You know, so who knows? But he did recant and they, they're not tying it to him, but he was someone that they looked into. We, we, we jump ahead to December 6th, 2005, which is 20 months later, or as they note, 600 days later. So I did not catch this gentleman's name, but I liked him very much. Uh, so we're talking to a local man who was saying they are building a fellowship hall at the Lebanon Baptist Church, which is six miles down the street from the salon. Um, and he says a friend stopped by and brought him a biscuit, which Katie... <sighs> If we weren't on different coasts, I would definitely be dropping by to give you biscuit. That is a friend. I right? And so, so the friend says, well, let's go out back and uh, eat these biscuits. And he's like, yes. And I would be like, yes. So they go out back. And uh, in his words, like we, we go eat them biscuits out back and we go down and we see them buzzards. And we, I say to my friend, I want to go see what those buzzards are all about. After I finish eating this biscuit. Well, yeah, after you're... Kate, you, let's be real. You're not going to leave the biscuit. You finish the biscuit and then you go check out the buzzards. I know you're not from the South, but this is what you do. Biscuits always come first. Biscuit first, buzzards second. And second. definitely not together because what if the buzzards take your biscuit? Bad idea. Buzzards will have no interest in your biscuit. Then why not take it with you? I don't know. I guess that makes sense because if there's buzzards, there's probably some sort of viscera Carcass. that you don't yes. want to expose your biscuit yes, to. exactly. Okay. <laughs> so they walk out into the woods behind the church and uh, the two the two gentlemen, they say, oh, well, they found the deer that the buzzards were circling. And then uh, the biscuit friend says, hey, Fellowship Hall friend, let's sit down at your feet. And Fellowship Hall friend looks down and he goes, well, that looks like a skull. And I it's was not like, funny. It's so not funny, but it's just like it's, the way that there looks like a skull. And let me tell you, I grew up with dudes like this. So I saw it and I was like, these are my people. They're not faced by this at all. They're like, well, that looks like a human skull. And that was 
And that was their story. Biscuits, buzzards. And then they found this skull behind the church. And like, what are the odds? Because it wasn't like her remains. I mean, at this point, there wouldn't be remains, right? It's, you know, 20 months later. Um, Nearly two years. Um, Thank goodness there was a dead deer. Like, what are the odds that there was a dead deer right by where her skull was? Like, oh my goodness. They might have never found her. So then Detective Buzzcut is telling us he brought out his team and they combed this entire forest. And just to show us like how difficult this was, uh, this is winter or fall Sorry. when they're filming. So there's no leaves on the trees, right? They're all on the ground. And he said, and you can see it's quite hilly and the trees are pretty close together. And he says, so I told my team, this is how much we had to clear. And he has this tiny little spot of ground and he moved all the leaves over, not together, like one at a time so you could see the dirt. He said, every inch of this forest, you need to do this so we can see what's out there. If there's anything in the dirt, I want to see it. If there's something under a leaf, I want to see it. And they went through the entire forest and they said they found most of her bones in that area, which is impressive considering like how rough the terrain was and how difficult it would have been to find things in this climate. Right, and who knows like, you know, what animals carried off, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we cut to poor Pistol. Poor Pistol. He's crying. I'm crying. I mean, I swear to God, if you are in law enforcement, hear me now. If, If someone is missing and you find their remains... Do not bury that lead when you go tell their family. Do not say, we found Patrice. Incorrect. You found her remains. Because they say, he says, he gets called out, he gets called to the office, and they say, we found your mother. And he goes, great, where is she? And then they go, no, no, we found her bones. Just say, I'm so sorry, we found your mother's bones. Don't give him that spike of hope. What is wrong with you? Oh, I felt so bad for him. At most, he's, what, 18? I mean, he's still a kid. And, like, he said that he went to the principal's office a lot, so he didn't think anything of it <laughs> when they called him to the office again. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, literally in my notes, I have, don't bury the lead, Jesus. <laughs> um, so, Pistol and I want to I think it was um, her sister who we met, um, mm-hmm. who I think is Kyleen. Both of them say, we think Rob had something to do with it. That's right. And so honestly, so do I. Nancy did as well. Nancy also said, so now we have the theories. We have Pistol saying, I told the police that Rob has something to do with it. Nancy saying, I told the police they need to look at Rob. And they cut to Rob and he goes, no comment. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So it was just like, literally the way I have this broken down. He says, I have no comment for those who think I killed her. Whoa, dude. Whoa. Literally in all caps. Whoa, dude. Like no one said they thought you killed nope. her. They said nope. they thought you had something to do with it. I thought this was such a weird thing for him to fixate on and also a little sociopathic. Yes. It was physically impossible, time-wise. Um, and I was like, you can hire people, you idiot. Thank um, you. And he's like really leaning on his alibi of like where he was at what time. There's no way I could have gone here and then there and then there. Um, and then he goes... Well, because he had a receipt from a gas station, Katie. And oh that, that gas station is 45 minutes away from her salon. And his work captures the turnstile about when he goes in. So there's just no way. Physically. Just physically. No way. Time-wise. Um, time-wise. Then, it says time-wise. <laughs> physically. Very many times. And then he goes, how about motive? We didn't have life insurance insurance on her and okay stop right there first of all he said we didn't like you said we didn't have insurance on her she was only 38 uh good sir 
you should have life insurance on her because she has a child. She should have had life. PSA for everyone involved. And this is where the hashtag this is 40 comes into play. <laughs> Get yourself some life insurance. If they offer it through your work, take advantage. If you can, get it as young as you can, because let me tell you, the older you get and things go wrong with your body, it gets harder and harder and more expensive to get life insurance. Take it from someone who is diagnosed with cancer at a very young age. Thank goodness I had already gotten myself a life insurance policy before that point in order to pay off some school loans. But... I did it, and it turned out to be the best thing I had done because otherwise I would not be able to get life insurance today. So, young people, 38, if you have a child, just get it. Um, If anyone is also in the situation where, I don't know, like Patrice, and you marry Rob, and you have a child, you do not have to make the spouse the beneficiary of your life insurance. you do not. So, I mean, there are options. So, let me tell you, him saying she was only 38, why would I have life insurance for her? drove me bananas and then he literally literally says nice try Ugh. Ugh. gbi buzz mm. cut says rob is not eliminated but it is improbable so that's where he is he's like right uh he doesn't think ro- robbery was the primary motive of the killing they kind of rule out that he hired some that rob possibly right. hired someone um and he also notes that they didn't find in their search um her wedding rings um, right. Which yes, and they re- showed them. Mm-hmm. I mean, which he really wants to find. And, like, that could mean a lot of things. That could mean the killer took them. Creepy Rob, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Don't don't sue me. Can I talk about the, the <laughs> next creepy thing that Rob says? You may. All caps, notes after this. Gross is what I write. Okay. <laughs> so then Rob says, when he's talking about why it couldn't possibly be me, right? Um, and then Detective Buzzcut is like... Yeah, it's improbable, but he's not eliminated. And they go back to Rob and he says, someone who knew her routine was obviously involved here. It had to be someone she knew. And then he goes, I have all these questions. Was she kept captive? Was she someone's toy? (gasps) And I was retching. It just added to the atmosphere of... This this is a sociopath. He's thought of all of these weird things. And it's like one of those things where it's almost childlike in the way of, um, mm-hmm. of well, definitely don't look over there. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it just it feels very like, well, yes. obviously you wouldn't do that because, you know, I was over here. You know, it just seems very like um, he's trying to anticipate all the responses, but all the responses he's anticipating are gross. Well, he has a degree in criminal justice. Oh, so. my God. All right. So I think at this point we cut to the funeral home, correct? Yeah, I'm going to let you handle that because I was already so disgusted at this point. And there's, so, I mean, I don't know even how to trigger warning what's coming, but it was I bad. Mean, so if you don't already think that Rob is at the very least creepy, if not responsible, um, we cut to the funeral home. And a funeral home is they apparently they were given the bones, and Rob says, "I wanted them to reassemble her." So, the funeral director person was like, "We put the as all the we put the bones laid out in an anatomical as as close as we could with what we had, and we let Rob have some time with her." And I immediately was like, "Vomit is rising. What does have but some time with her mean?" I will give mean? kudos to Mr. Judson Caldwell, the funeral director, because he was very professional. It sounded like he was being very respectful, especially with the. That's what he wanted. Did it as best as I could. Gave him some time. 
So that's where it stops. That's where that's, my respect that's, stops. So Rob goes into this room with the the reass- mm-hmm. reassembly, and he goes, "I spent some time there. I carried her skull around for a while." We're just gonna pause for a second. We did. I know dead air is not what you want. Carry skull around for a while. Gave her a kiss. Put the skull back down, and that's the last time I saw her. Like I thought at first, we had the worst part with those comments about was she someone's toy, and then I thought we got to the worst part with the, the carrying of the skull, <laughs> and then we get to the actual actual worst part. Uh, she's so he says that's the last time I saw her intact, <laughs> and then uh, she's cremated. So he gets her ashes. And um, he also says, when I got her ashes back, which he calls them her cremains, which also, yes. much like Heckle and Jekyll, I was just like, is that a... Like, Heckle and Jekyll I know is wrong, but, like, is cremains a thing? Is that I'm a- going to look it right up. I'm going to look it up now, because I... Uh, yeah, so, I noticed so, that, too. So he says he, he received her, her cremains, yeah. and yes. he slept with them for a while. It is a noun. Oh, all right. So, sorry. Apologies to the sociopath. Apologies to Rob. Apologies to Rob. Um, allegedly, you were right. don't sue me. So he slept with her ashes for a while because that is so how many questions. They slept together, all cuddled up, and so like a teddy bear, he cuddled her ashes for a while. I'll, he goes to get them, and he keeps saying to the interviewers, "I never tell anyone this." Like, dude, you realize this is going to be aired on a thing that people are going to watch. Like, this might not have gotten Tiger King huge or whatever, but like. We're all seeing this. You're telling this to a camera. So, whatever. So, he goes to a closet. The box, it looks like it's on the floor. Um, it's it's the cardboard box that the ashes were shipped to him from the crematorium in. And it, he's like, you, he's like he, look, he goes, you can see that it's beat up a little. <laughs> beat up from all the sleeping with it. Right, so, which was my question. Because I thought, when he first said this, I imagined... The earth. An urn, thank you. And then he pulls out this cardboard box from the back of a closet. And to be fair, he was not even sure it was in there. He's like, it should be back here somewhere. And then he starts to open the box that had clearly never been opened because there's still tape on it. He has to go get like a knife or a scissors oh, or something to open pocket. the box. He has a pocket knife. That well, he, oh, of he course just, like, he does. It's in Georgia. He's got a pocket so knife. Yeah, his, of course. Yeah. So he has a pocket knife. So first it takes it out of like the beat up ass cardboard box, which was shipped to him and that he was cuddling with. So then it's in like the nice sealed box from the crematorium that he has to cut the tape off of. Which was still, yes, also closed. And then out of that, he pulls a plastic bag of ashes, which... Which, so in my notes, it's in, like, literally my notes are taking up, like, I handwrite them and they're, like, the entire page. Slept with her ashes, what the hell? Why is she still in a plastic bag? And dear God, why is he stroking the bag? And then he says, this is the first time I've ever seen this bag and I'm just so emotional because I've never shared these with anyone. And then in all caps, I have... Not even pistol. He and he says he literally says I have never shared them with anyone, particularly pistol. So he like he calls it out that he's like, "Fuck off, pistol! You don't get anything of your mother's." And I say, right? partic- and so I have in quotes, "Particularly pistol, what an asshole!" And then it cuts yes. to pistol who goes, "I have nothing of hers. I have you what? know, I don't have her again." Means. I have he's nothing. crying again, and I'm crying again, and I'm like, "You're not. You you didn't even know they were in the closet." 
in this junk closet in the back with like your old racquetball you haven't touched since 1985. After like, you cuddled with them. Um, cuddled with, no. Cuddled with a cardboard box that had another box inside of it that had the cremains <laughs> inside another plastic box. I hate to say this, that was like a turducken of cremains <laughs> with like the layer of layers and layers. <laughs> I was going to go Russian doll, but turducken is way better. <laughs> Again, not funny, but there's so many layers in between him and what is left of Patrice, and that's what he's cuddling? And Supposedly? I mean, and honestly, honestly, like, again, trying to be not accusatory. I realize no. I, I jumped to suspicion. Um, but you honestly, are a very suspicious person, is, Katie. I am a very suspicious person. You are. Um, this is fucking weird. I just, you know, again, people grieve differently or whatever, but, like, to be so possessive to, like, like Pistol gets nothing, like, has, like, and he has nothing of her. Because, like, remember, nothing. he got walked out that night. It was never left back in the house. So he has nothing of his mother's. I was just, like, oh, uh, 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 basically, <laughs> towards the end of this. And then, I mean, again, at the end, he's crying, so I'm crying. And he says now I've been without her longer than I ever had her. And that just makes me start crying and hurting again. He's like, I just, you know, Rob, the fact that Rob has her remains is so painful to him. Like you can see the pain on his face and in his body when he says that. And he starts crying again. And can we also just talk for one moment? My man pistol's got some tats. He's got some tats. Um, I want to say he has hair cutting scissors. On his, was that what his that arms. was on the inside of his arm? I think that was on arm? the inside of his arm, which, oh, which is beautiful. And he also has, sweet. like, I think it's it's a large gun on, like, Some one of the outside of his arm. Some sort of a large yeah. gun. And then I was wondering, I was like, was he in the military? I don't know. But, I don't yeah, know. I think, I think the one that's on the inside of his arm, I think it, I think it looked Aww. like hair cutting scissors, where I was like, that's very sweet. Um, but, yeah, so it then... So, I guess, so, at the very least, if Rob may just be grieving in such a way that we don't understand, but the very least, he's just a bad person. Because no matter how much you hate your, you know, stepson or whatever, stepson. give him something. Give him some of her old jewelry. Give her some of her old clothes. Give him... Pictures? Pic I don't know. Pictures? Pictures. You know, like, like, she's gone. You know, you don't have to mend the fence, but the very least, like, and if you're going to be weirdly possessive and, like, make a Build-A-Bear out of her ashes, like, at the very least, <laughs> give him something. A like, that makes you a bad person. I, I agree. At the very least, he's just not a good person. I, I, my heart hurts for this child that was left alone without his mother. We do cut back to Buzzcut, who does say, yes. um, and Buzzcut, we love you. Um, love him. Uh, he does mention that, like, there are additional details that are not being shared because they say they're the type of details that only the killer and the investigators on the case would know. So they want to avoid false confessions. And so if they find someone who knows those details, they can kind of, you know, confirm that that's the killer. Um, so there are additional things. He says there are people they're looking into. So he doesn't think it's dead. He does think that the Lumina is the key. Um, Lumina, Lumina, slash, Lumina slash Malibu slash Taurus. Taurus slash um, to me, it would just be a blue car. Right. <laughs> and, and people would say, like, so was it a hatchback? I'd be like, it would be, I'd be Tina from Boss Burgers. <laughs> um, so, 
So he says they're still looking into it. So, you know, I, I have to imagine that it's run a little cold <laughs> because it's on Unsolved yes. Mysteries. But if you, they do have the, if you know anything, there's like a tip line, but there's also just go to unsolved.com. So I think there's ways you can submit tips there. Um, but yeah, that's the story of 13 Minutes, a very heartbreaking story. Um, I mean, and, and again, don't sue me, but my my hypothesis, allegedly, um, I do think Rob had something to do with it. The way, the way that I'm piecing the story together from what we know, I'm mm-hmm. thinking he heard about the divorce and he's choosing not to remember it because he's a sociopath. He heard about the divorce. I think he either had friends or something, like some sort of connection, very kind of... Um, what is that mystery, that Agatha Christie mystery, where that it's one? on a train... The Orient uh, Express. Thank you. Is Double it like that? Like it's like he has someone that he knew that like could just do this. Um, well, that's or, a that's a really good question because we don't know too much, and they don't tell us very much about Rob's backstory, his history, his family, his connections to this community. Um, we just don't know. So who knows? What I don't know what kind of people he's hanging out with, what his situation is. I know he has got a nice house. And that looked large enough for at least, I don't know, one teenager to stay in there with him. That's just me. Um, Yeah, so for me, I think it's very telling when all the people in her life are telling the same story, which was she had been happy, now she was unhappy, she had been unhappy for a while, her husband was possessive and jealous. And, you know, the pattern that they described sounded like a textbook emotional emotionally abusive relationship where at first everything is wonderful and then like Pistol says something flips and all of a sudden they're jealous they're controlling they're possessive they want to know where she is all the time Um, especially being jealous of your relationship with your kid which really weirds me out and then you have Rob who's like Um, so it's either right that he is a suspect he has not been eliminated The other possibility is what? That there was a random serial killer that happened to stop by in those 13 minutes when no one else was there and nobody saw anything besides a blue Lumina Malibu Taurus. I mean, even, I mean, even, even creepy Rob does bring up that it must be someone who knew her routine. That's right. Um, But if it is, you know, if it is that guy, like, you know, that guy, the first dude that they sort of mention. So if it's him, you know, maybe he observed her. I don't think it, you know, when you're in a small community, it's not that hard to learn someone's routine particularly if it's someone who owns her own business so she has a pretty set routine she's dropping her kid off she's going to work that kind of thing i don't think it would be that hard to kind of maybe sneak in there maybe take a look at the bar the the book maybe make an appointment and move it that kind of thing to guarantee that she would be open and distract her with asking for a jump you know, or cetera. directions, or yeah, or something. Um, they and I, one of the sheriffs, I think, do mention that it's like because it's pretty remote and it's on this road, it's on a busy highway type thing. Mm-hmm. So people would pull off and like she would be the person that like, hey, I need somewhere to eat. Where do I go? Like that kind of thing. So I mean, there's lots, it can always be just a rando, and Rob could just be an, an incredibly creepy individual. Yeah, who's Sad. an awful person. <laughs> Really sad. Really sad. Um, Quick side note. Can I share my latest in uh, algorithm anomalies with you? You may. Listeners, Listeners, we have a thing. (laughs) We have a thing where we like to share the weird algorithms that we're tripping on either Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. And mine just happens to be a Quora account that I don't remember signing up for. But I have noticed as I'm trying to clean up my email habits and 
clean out my inboxes and they will send me my daily digest of things that I've somehow I'm tripping their algorithm saying this will be of interest to you. Hold on to your butt. Are you ready for this? Okay. The question from Cora that Cora says I will be interested in is how can I find out if the person I'm talking to on Hangouts is not a scammer? Is that a thing? Do people talk to strangers on Hangouts? That's weird if they do. I would, you Thank know, you. I would That's think it'd be, where I'm it'd be going something with like, this. Uh, like Omegle or something where you are no. actually talking to, or like chat roulette where you're talking who's, to like randos. Who? Who's maybe maybe random the scammer, on like, it, like some, you know, it, like robo, whatever their, um, maybe their email was like, Hey bud. But like, if you don't know the person, don't fucking talk to them on Hangouts. That's a good point. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why Does I get think these. This is, Cora thinks this is going to trip your maternal instinct and go like, Oh, sweet summer child. Don't, don't do this. <laughs> Listeners don't talk to people. You don't know on Hangouts. Oh. oh, that's my 40 year old wisdom for today. <laughs> that's all that I got. and get life insurance. That and thank you. Get some goddamn life insurance because you never know. Well, listeners, we will be back with the next French episode, and you might have to hear um, my awful pronunciation. Uh, oh, so, definitely. So, so, so it's not the worst. I mean, I did. Um, I did when I, when I went to high school. I was at le- I could at least say Ale. Like, you know, it's spelled A-L-L-E-R, and I understood that E-R was A, um, versus other kids in my class that were, like, Allaire. Um, so I, I do at least have that. Um, but well, when I we're going to have to pronounce everyone's names. So, <laughs> um, oh, ho, ho. <laughs> but when I did go to Paris, uh, ages ago in the before times when we could yeah, travel, pre-COVID. Um, I, would, I would start to try and speak a little bit of French, and um, they'd be like, no, no, no. And then they would just have to speak to me in English. So you should I say, je voudrais, and they go, <laughs> listen, but lady. To be fair to Parisians, everyone was very sweet about it and no one was rude. Everyone was oh, just nice. sort of, because like typically the, the, what you hear is like that, like um, kind of Spanish speaking countries are usually just glad that you're like trying mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. Parisian, uh, not just Parisians, but like French people are just like, how dare you? Like <laughs> you're murdering our beautiful language. First everyone of all, was, how dare you? First of all. <laughs> very Kelly Kapoor. Um, but everyone was very sweet and they, I think they thought I, they were helping me out and that I looked confused. Although I did navigate around quite well on my um, three, four years, three years of uh, high school French. Oh, good um, for you. Um, I have a mixed bag of experiences there, especially in Paris, which I will delight everyone with um, when we review the next episode. However, Ooh. I will give you one, a sneak preview of one, a World War II vet arguing with a train station operator about a ticket question I had. And number two, <laughs> a late, the most recent time I had gone, a definite Parisian woman coming up and asking me in the train station in French how to get to Disneyland Paris. <laughs> so. <laughs> you looked so local that That's you it. must know. So chic and together. I just look very, very French. <laughs> I mean, you are wearing a striped t-shirt right now. All you need is a beret and some okay. red lipstick and a cigarette. <laughs> the beret would not fit over my my bun. However, <laughs> yes, I. it was probably the bottle of wine that I was carrying around with me and drinking out of <laughs> the, in the train station. And the baguette. And the baguette. <laughs> The baguette that was uh, outside of the scarf that I, the very fashionable scarf that I had. And I was like, yeah, it's saving it for labor. Yeah. Apparently, French people are all cartoons in my brain. 
Sorry, French people. They're the best. They're the best. They are the best. All Super right. husband has some uh, relatives that live in Paris. And let me tell you, whenever they meet the stereotypes, I'm just like, chef's kiss is, is perfection. I love it. I love it. All right. Thank you again, listeners, for uh, hanging out with us and kind of going over this fun mystery. Um, you can find all of us at, at Wine Times Pod on Twitter and uh, Instagram. You can contact us at winetimespod at gmail.com if you have questions God, or we're so popular. Want to tell us, like, you're doing great, sweetie, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Um, but yeah, see you next time, listener. Maybe give us a, a rating or a review on, on iTunes, right. particularly if it's good. And um, tell your we'll, friends. Tell your friends. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.